Good morning. Got your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. We're going to be looking at that section again and breaking it down one section at a time. Um, as you find your place, I, I'd remind you this is our fourth Sunday, and every fourth Sunday we um, spend some time together after the service just eating and enjoying each other. So if you forgot your lunch, I invite you to go pick up something through a drive through or something and come back and, 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 and get to know your, your church family a little better and, uh, because we are adopted into the same family. But right now, we want to turn ourselves back towards the text that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. So let's stand with us. Romans 1, beginning at verse 18. I'm going to read this whole text, not that we're going to look at everything because we're looking at it week by week, but I want you to see it as a whole every week. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all they knew, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dis the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to a dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit, to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the Word of God. Lord, as we open up your text again this morning, as your children, Lord, we ask for you to, to comfort us, to challenge us, Lord, even if someone is not in the faith, <clears throat> Lord, and they experience conviction or even the, the burden of their own conscience, Lord, I pray that even in this text, 
would give them a comfort that that is a gift of your grace. And so, Lord, do what only you can do today through the power of your Spirit. Strengthen us, comfort us. Save those that need to be saved, God. Restore those that need to be restored. But bring clarity above all things of who you are so that we may respond and worship to you for you alone are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we have been doing a couple different things with the text. Looking at this text as a whole, we've been first defining what is God's wrath and what is man's depravity. Those are the two big aspects of what is going on in the text. Um, And so last week we were going to talk about the demonstration of God's wrath. And it was almost as if God says, you're not quite done looking at me. So God does what only God can do. He pauses us and orients us back to himself. And so last week, by God's providence, we looked at the holiness of God. It has everything to do with the message today. But what we are turning ourselves to today is the, is the demonstration. What is the demonstration? What does it look like when God's wrath begins to vent In the right now. I know this is not a popular sermon topic. Uh, Maybe topical preachers, maybe they preach this too much or never preach it at all. I don't know. It depends on the church you might have grew up in. But God wants us to know himself. God wants them to know you. He wants you to know yourself. And he wants you to understand the world that you live in. Why is the things happening the way they are? And how should we understand God's wrath in light of the world we live in, in light of what we see? I mean, just think about it over the last few weeks. Floods in Libya, earthquakes in Morocco, I mean, the hurricanes again are lining up and just waiting to come in. Forest fires, viruses, wars. Threats of more wars right behind the other wars or the escalation of wars. Violence is exploding in our inner cities. And sexual chaos is everywhere. Manhood and womanhood are under a direct attack. What do you make of all this? And here's the question. Does God care? Is He apathetic? Is He angry? Or is this just life under the sun? We just got to make the best of it. I mean, he started this thing. We messed it up. We just got to fix it the best way we can. Is that what's going on in our world today? This is why we must understand what the wrath of God is and how it works out. And I just want you to see the text today in his simplicity that there's something about God's wrath that we might be missing of the way God's wrath vents and works in today's the main idea, if you got your notes, you can see it. God's wrath gives people over to their depraved heart's desire. The result is a filling up of all kinds of wickedness. Let's, let's review 
God's righteous wrath. If you remember, wrath and truth have already been revealed. And it has come from a place. It has come from heaven. God's holiness, His justice, and His love has been revealed. How? In what He has created. He has created things. Even Micah mentioned this last week. And what He has created demonstrates, it puts on display these attributes of God. Psalms 33 verse 4 says this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loved righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heat. He puts the deep in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The reality of the world we live in is they don't look at this creation and fear the Lord. That's what we're looking at today. So what is God going to do when God puts His holiness and His glory and His love on display and God's, and, and God's creation snubs it? Revelation you see, of God's wrath is against ungodliness. It is against unrighteousness. Remember we said that's injustice and wickedness. All people know that God exists, even the ones who claim to be atheists, and they hate Him for it. They hate the God that doesn't exist. Sort of make our point here as we look at the text. All people, remember our three circles today. We're gonna, it's just going to be working back through them again to some degree because that's what the Bible does. They have seen God's design and they have departed God's design. That departing God's design is called what? Sin. They have departed God's design. They have went their own way willingly. You see, there are good reasons for the wrath of God. Verse 18 says, they have suppressed the truth. They are ungrateful. They are dishonoring. And what we're really going to think about today, no pun intended, is foolish thinking. What happens when depravity hits to the mind? If you've got your Bibles, I hope, know you do. I hope you do. I hope you bring your Bible to church. Uh, Psalms 14 Psalms 14, look at verse 1. Notice that these things are connected. Psalms 14, 1 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But notice the connection. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. There's a connection with what you believe about God and how you live. What the text is teaching us then is that because of this, their heart is increasingly darkened and they, they automatically move toward idolatry. And you can hear somebody say, well, pastor, well, John, whatever your name is, what does God expect of me? You know, nobody's perfect. Micah 6, 8 says this, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? 
but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And yet the world that we live in has saw that God exists and has snubbed her nose at Him and has suppressed the truth of Him and has exchanged that truth. They just don't suppress it. They exchange it. And when they do, they exchange the glory that's due God alone and they worship lesser things. That's what we see in verses 22 and 23. This specific sin that once the domino of the suppression of truth happens, it just takes over like a funnel and spiraling out of control. Idolatry is what's next. One guy said the sin that is, is present in the heart before it's manifested in the body. The question for the day then, we've, we've looked at that already, is how will God respond? Right? How will God respond to this? Here's what the text says that he didn't do. And he has done it in the past. And we know revelation. We know what's coming and what will happen all through redemptive history. He responds in all kinds of ways. But I want to look at what the text is saying. What he's not saying he's going to do is to destroy them, consume them, or even torment them. There's no invading Assyrians here. No floods or earthquakes, although... God is perfectly right and just to do this. I want you to show, even in this text, as sobering as it is, reflects the amazing patience of God. God in perfect tension. Numbers 14, 18 puts God in tension. It says, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but... If you've got your Bibles, you don't mind writing anything, you circle that but. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Divine patience, this is a quote, divine patience without a favorable response on the part of man results in the outpouring of God's judgment. And yet I want you to see this shocking response. It's a biblical response if you study not only Old Testament but history. That God's people, Israel, committed spiritual adultery over and over and over with their God. He sent them prophets. He sent them judges to deliver them over and over again. He sent the enemies to punish them and then restored them. And yet they still turned their back against the one true God. They still thought they could worship God on Sunday and anything else on Monday. And then all of a sudden in history, God goes silent. He doesn't say anything for 400 years. That's a terrifying silence. It is in our life, and it is in history. Here's what God is saying this morning. Four sobering words. He gave them up. He gave them up. This is what God did. Almost a shock. What does it mean? Let's just read the first one. It's in verse 24, 26, 28. He says it. 
potentially three times. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. He, therefore, because of everything that we've looked at already, God gave them up. Look at verse 26. It said, for this reason, God gave them up. Gave up in the original language is just one word. So in, in the original language, it's not even four. You know what that word means? Gave up. The sobering meaning. You don't look it up in the dictionary, by the way. It meant what it meant when God inspired that word. It means to surrender to another. To surrender authority to another authority. It's surrendering that person to another authority. To grant, to allow, to entrust. And as we saw in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy. Pay attention, right? This is important about God. We see He gave them up. He gave them up. He gave them up. Or as some theologians believe, and I believe they're right, He gave them up. He gave them up. He gave them over. The word has the, in the very meaning to surrender that person over to another authority. So both of those understandings is good. But they, we see in this text a progression. And in the last giving over, there is a finality to it. That's why it makes it so sobering. So what is God doing? Is, is this just sort of a... Well, okay, whatever you want to do. You ask for it. There's two aspects to this giving over that I want you to see. The first is it's a permissively given over. And even in that is not just apathy. We've talked about this before, but I, I, it is a, a brother, Jonathan Edwards, that really helped me understand it and helped many other people understand this. this. This picture of God's restraining grace in the world over the lives of men and women and children who snub Him every day and yet He's still restraining. The world's not as bad as it could be because God is restraining it even now. It's just not God saying, well, do what you want. He removes the divine restraint. And when He does, there is nothing to stop the heart of men from doing all their heart's desire. I don't understand why you would name a church Free Will Baptist. We ought to be naming it Grace Restraining Baptist. Right? Restraining grace. How sweet the sound. Because that's what He's doing in this world. He's restraining things. And what He's saying He's going to do is remove the restraint. 
And when he does, there is no curbing their desire to sin. There is no stopping it. But it is more than just permissive. permissive. It is active. It is active. God just doesn't let them go. He positively pushes them towards the consequence of their chosen sin. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's not merely a divine surrendering. It is also divine retribution. It is divine judgment. That's what this giving over is. It's two aspects. But make no mistake. All of this back and forth about where is sovereignty and where is responsibility. Make no mistake. All people choose out of their greatest desire. That's man's problem. Because without a regenerate nature, without God changing your nature, you're always going to desire things that are tainted by sin because your nature is fallen and enslaved to sin. So man, man's just going to desire the, the, the worst things for the, or even the best things for the worst reasons. And when God removes his restraining hands, he not only lets them go that way, he positively consigns them to an end. This handing over presumes guilt. It is something that they desire, something that they have chosen. God does not, God does not draw people toward wickedness and then punish them for that wickedness. He does not have to. Their hearts are enslaved to it. It is God's restraining grace that is keeping them from it. Listen to this. Theologian commentator called Douglas Moo says, God does not simply let the boat go. He gives it a push downstream. Like a judge who hands over a prisoner to the punishment his crime has earned. Listen to what he, listen to what he says here. Got this underlined in my notes. God hands over the sinner to the terrible cycle of ever-increasing sin. The terrible cycle of ever-increasing sin. That's what we're seeing in our three circles, isn't it? We depart God's design, and we end up in what? What's our second circle? Brokenness. And what we see in brokenness is what? A cycle of ever-increasing sin. Because we leave God's design, and we try to fix it ourselves. Because we try to fix it ourselves, we end up what? More broken. Worse than when we started. This is absolutely everywhere in God's Word. I mean, it's just hard just to pick one. I picked a couple here in the Old Testament. We see God giving over Israel's enemies all the time. Deuteronomy 7.23 is just one example I like it because it's got a nice three little points tucked into one verse, and it gets me excited as a pastor every time I see something that's easy three points. Deuteronomy 7.23 said, But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into confusion until they are destroyed. You see my nice little three points there? He gives them over. He throws them into confusion. Where does confusion happen? In the mind. And what happens to them? Look at the text. They're destroyed. 
Leviticus 26, 23. God does this to Israel. He says, and if this, by this discipline, you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, verse 24, and I also will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you seven folds for your sin, and I will bring a sword upon you and execute vengeance for the covenant. He permissively and actively gives people over. And what he gives over first is their bodies. Notice right out of the text, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their bodies, in the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now we're going to get into the depravity of man later. And so I'm I'm touching it, but I'm staying away from it at the same time. But this is clear, isn't it? This is not the day of the Lord. This is what He's doing right now. What He's doing in their day, what He's doing in our day. He brings the consequences. He removes the restraint. He consigns people to an end. And He brings that end upon their bodies. Their physical bodies. We'll talk more about this the week after next. Next week's our anniversary. Woo-hoo. <laughs> right? Come on now, get excited. We need to work on, by the way, just sidebar, we need to work on our excitement around here. Right? I know you're introverts, but quit using that as an excuse. It's okay to be excited. I could point out some things and you don't want me to point out that you get very excited about. That's a sidebar. It has nothing to do with this. He brings, we just got to have a little levity sometimes in heavy text. Remember that uh, Veggie Tales, that silly songs with Larry right in the middle of it? He, that little cucumber would start dancing around. Are you do a silly song? No, I'm not. I'm not. That's as far as I can go because I got to get, get serious now. <laughs> we know this is true. There is sexual chaos all around us. You cannot go to school. You cannot go in the bathroom. You cannot go out to eat. You cannot open up your phone without noticing that, our, that we are devolving quickly. If, if depravity is a funnel, if God has given us over to go through that funnel, whether it's a person or a culture or a community, here's what we know this is true. First, there was this consuming issue of homosexuality and bisexuality that I can choose my own sexuality. I don't need the moral standard of God. I know He designed me that way. I don't gear. I'm going to do it my way anyway. And now they say I can pick my own identity. I can pick it. And you, you look at, at what's happening when people are going through these surgeries. God has consigned them to destroy their bodies. And we have not yet seen the destruction that this lifestyle is causing. It's putting them in their bodies. It's affecting their physical selves. He has given them over to consume themselves in their own depravity. Have you seen this in warm waters? I heard it recently of a story in Florida. There's this flesh-eating bacteria. 
that it, it, it thrives in warm waters. It makes you not want to go to the tropics, does it? You know, if you go into water, make sure I don't have any. Because what happens, in, in, and I'm real bad about it because I'm a hands-on kind of guy, that I'll have a scratch or something, but you can have an open wound and go in this, where this bacteria is, and it'll get inside of you, and if you don't do something, it'll kill you. Listen, sin is a flesh-eating bacteria, and it's nothing to play with. And listen, there's only one person who has the remedy to heal it. There's only one. You can think, you can heal it on your own, and you will perish in your sin. Jesus Christ is the only one that provided the remedy through His life, death, and resurrection. And unless you repent and put your faith in Him, you will likewise perish. Today is a day of salvation. This is good news because God says He will give you over. And He will give you over first in your body. Verses 26 and 27 says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving, listen to the language, in themselves the due penalty of their error. He turned them over and they consumed themselves in their body and they received the consequences of their choices in their own bodies. But that's not all. God also gives over the souls and the minds of people. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Now this is the point where people say this is a, a more final passage. It could, you could read it this way. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. What are you going to do when God gives your mind over? You realize how important it is for your mind this morning? Everything that you did this morning? Everything that you'll do this afternoon? None of it happens without the mind being in its right place. You don't want God to do this in anyone's life. He says he gives them over to a debased mind. Sin does more than simply destroy the body. It destroys you on a spiritual level, a mental level. What happens is what we have seen and we have talked about before. This Genesis 6, 5. Every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Brings this degrading, a spiraling down in this funnel. Make no mistake. Men give themselves over. They give themselves over. Ephesians 4.19 says this, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. One guy puts it this way, and I think well of what the text is, is getting at here. In this life, we could say it this way, the punishment for sin is more sin. And so let's not make... No mistake about what, I'm, what we're, the picture here. 
One, one guy calls it moral gravity, and I think that's helpful because we know it right now. Something is trying to do something. This book is just not going to wanting to stay suspended in midair. What is this book wanting to do right now? Fall. Why does it want to fall? What is gravity? Is it, is it just a projection of our mind? Yeah. It's a natural law given by God. That's, that's what he's saying he's going to do, brothers and sisters, to those that we love, to those outside of Christ. He's saying there comes a point when he will give them over. And the law, moral law of gravity will take them to the end. We're not saying that with a giggle in our throat. We're saying that with a lump in our throat that this is what the text is saying. They move from idolatry to immorality with this giving over. In verse 24, it says he gives them over in the lust. You see it? James 1.14, listen to how James agrees. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth what? Remember? Death. Look at verse 26. He gives them over to dishonor themselves. To dishonor themselves. Their life of impurity and dishonor brings dishonorable consequences. Sin impacts the whole self, the body, the mind, the soul. And that person, you can count on it, will become miserable. Verse 27, sin brings a now and a later penalty, but the right now is that sin may have a short-term pleasure, but it'll bring a long-term misery into your life. It is not meant to satisfy you. God designed you to be satisfied only with himself, and you will not be happy, as Augustine and many others said, until you find it your source of hope and happiness in him. Idolatry makes you miserable. But I don't want you to miss man's response in this if, if you haven't seen it already. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I want to come back to this issue of the mind. What happens when their, their mind is unable to do things. Here's what we're going to see. Here's what you're going to see in their life and in this world, in the community. They lose their ability to reason. They lose their ability to reason. It, you're sitting there going, this conversation that I'm having with somebody, I'm trying to stay focused here, but inside I'm going, my, this makes no sense at all. It's like reasoning with a child who wants to get his crayons and go and go draw pictures in the middle of the interstate. And you're, you're sitting there debating on, well, you know, let me explain to you why this is sitting there going, do you not have any sense at all? Sitting there going, when people are given over, they lose their ability to reason. This is the sexual chaos that's around us. You're talking to a person who wants to be called a them? 
Right? Are you with me? You're sitting there going, well, hold on a second. Does that make any reasonable, logical sense? No, it don't. It doesn't matter. That's what happens when God gives people over. Their hearts become darkened. We're going to talk about this in chapter 2, but I'll just be remiss if I don't mention what, what is causing this. The reason why this is moving in such a quick factor when this happens is that they lose their ability to feel guilty because God allows their conscience to be seared. So there's nothing telling them this is wrong. It doesn't make any sense. Stop it. Verse 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. What does that mean to have it be given over to a debased mind? A debased mind is a worthless mind. It is a despicable mind. When God gives them over, their minds lose the ability to think purely about anything. One of the most aggravating things that we have in our family that happens all the time is when our car gets ready to go get the oil changed. None of my, my girls in my home, I've got a few of them, but the ones that can drive, it's the most stressful thing for them because they can't even go to the mechanic and get their oil changed without every dude in there sexually sizing them up and hitting on them when they're just there to get the oil changed. Why is that? Is that a sign that they're just sinful? No. It is a sign that God has given them over in their sin because they haven't got even the ability to look at an image bearer of God and treat them with dignity and respect. God has gave them over. That's what happens in the mind when it is debased. And when you get a hint of that in your own life, when you can look at a picture and you don't see somebody's little girl, you better smell it because it's right around the corner for you. You don't want God to give you over and lose the ability to think logically and reasonably. You don't want God to give you over where you can't look at people and things and see it's a beauty the way God created it to be treated. Here's what's happening. Look at verse 29. Because of all of this, their lives are like a cup. This is, that's the imagery here. A cup. It says in verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. The language here is this cup started to be filled at a point in the past and is continually to being filled up to the present. So, do you get the picture? There's two cups. One is your life. One is their life. And one is the wrath of God. And what we're, what I'm beseeching you and those watching online and how we Realize when we engage our family and friends and co-workers is don't ignore the cup. Because there's not just one cup. Oh, how we long for those that we love for that cup to be full of blessing and not judgment. Amen? We pray for that. We prepare for that. Why do you think we did the three circles? Because this was coming. 
because their life is being filled right now. But there is another cup of God's judgment and it is being filled and there is nothing stopping it right now at this very moment from tipping over and destroying them where they sit. And I know that's sobering, but that should drive us with the gospel. There is a funnel. And once God gives them up, the funnel begins to spin in an ever-increasing way as sin gets more and more deeper and depraved. And the wages of sin is death. So what kind of promises, what can we learn today? Turn with me to 2 Timothy Second Timothy, chapter two, verse eight. Well, let's look at verse ten. Second Timothy two ten. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. There's multiple promises here. But two that we must not miss. But let's look at a couple. Let's just look at the text. Look at the sayings. He said, this is, a tr- this is a trustworthy saying. And so just some questions that you should ask yourself here in this text. Just a practical thing. Has your old life died with Christ on the cross? The old is dead. The new is come. All this is from God. That's what baptism signifies, that this has happened in our life. Has the old died and the, and the new come with Christ on the cross? Then what is the promise of the text? Hmm? You will live with him. That's the promise. You see it? There's another one here. Are you enduring even in the heart of life? Life is tough. We live in a broken world. People get sick and they die and we get sick and we struggle and we die. And are we enduring? Then what's the promise of the text? You will reign with him. I can't give you better news than that. That ought to get you excited this morning. Knowing what we deserved. Knowing that we, that we were like Isaiah. That he has atoned for our sin. Because of that, we will live with Him. We will reign with Him. Do you sometimes find yourself broken and faithless? Just having a bad week? Only me? Think not. Then what does it say? Then our Father remains faithful because He cannot deny those already in His Son. Isn't that good news? The warning is this. He will abandon those that reject him. Do you see it in the text? If we deny him, he will what? Deny us. 
Should I give up on people then if this is true? Listen, as long as the day of the Lord has not come, and as long as, as, as they have not gone to be with the Lord, then today is the day of salvation. In other words, it is never too late. But it should put an urgency on you because Matthew 10 is true. It says this, there's two truths. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, this is Matthew 10, 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. How do we deny Christ? With our words and with our life. With our words and with our life. Casual acceptance of Jesus Christ is an outright denial. There's no middle road. There is a wide road and there is a narrow road. I pray this morning as as I've prayed and I prayed, got to share this text with Walnut Grove last week. That we think of our families and our friends and our co-workers that are outside of Christ and understand they are not okay. And we must engage them with the gospel. And listen, I'm not trying to be mean this morning. I'm not. We're our stories. We have said we don't know how to share the gospel well. And we have fear of sharing the gospel. And so we have trained you to share the gospel. Where are the stories of the gospel being shared? Where is the excitement of being able to share this gospel to people? No matter their response. Because I don't pick their response anyway. We have to share it. And we have to tell each other about it. When we are excited, as Micah talked about last week, we talk about it. We talk about it with those that are outside of the faith. We talk about it with those that are within the faith. What is your passive silence saying about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, I can't give you any better news than this. He will adopt everybody that turns to Him. He will adopt everybody that turns to Him. Jesus did not come just to forgive your sins. He didn't come just to remove hell from you and to remove wrath from you and to remove judgment from you. He didn't come to make your physical life better. He came to put you in the family of God because God never loses His children. But when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are the sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This morning, can I ask you, Are you a child of God? Then our response is to repent and put our faith in Christ if the answer is no. If the answer is yes, then I invite you to stand and worship this God in boldness. I invite you to respond in generosity. I invite you to the tables. And I invite you to go as missionaries. And I invite you to share, break bread with your family in just a few minutes because that's what we are called to do. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word today. Of all that it means, thank you for the ability to have a church that we can just take our time and work through the text. Now, Lord, as we worship you, you be glorified in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.